At age six, Eden Wood was the undisputed champion of toddlers and tiaras. Having won so many trophies and so many $1,000 prizes on the program that she has now retired from competition, six years old, and nothing more to prove in the world of underage beauty pageantry. So now Eden's mom, Mickey Wood, has decided on a Hollywood career for her daughter, who recently told a television interviewer she wants to be, quote, a superstar. When asked why, the child at first seemed confused, saying, I don't know why. She, look, she looked at her mother then and responded, because I'm famous. Mom says the family already has spent $100,000 on Eden's career, such as it is, and they are ready for their only child to make the big leap now to music or to the movie industry. Mom told one newspaper, just like everybody knows who Justin Bieber is, everyone's going to know Eden Wood. Now, if all of this suggests that Mickey is a stage mom living her own fantasies through her daughter, well, just forget that idea. I get so fed up hearing that, she says. Mom insists this is all Eden's decision, what she wants, and she can quit any time she wants. Eden, by the way, began performing when she was 14 months old. On Toddlers and Tiaras, the show that ran from 2009 to 2013, the miniature contests contestants often whined and ranted as their moms sprayed and teased their hairdos and applied the big girl makeup. Apparently, this is the way little girls reaffirm their decisions to take part in these pageants. Eden once refused to compete when her costumes did not reach the venue on time. Mickey, by one account, took her by the shoulders and told her, quote, we have to do what we have to do. If not, take your dress off and go home. Mom later said, I gave her the choice two or three times, and I meant it. She wanted to stay. Besides Eden's retirement segment, the show featured a mom carrying on stage her two-week-old infant boy in a tuxedo. Her older brother told an interviewer, he wants to win really, really, really badly. He doesn't know that yet. Also, there was a mom who prayed out loud to Jesus as she teases her daughter's hair, asking for divine intervention. And yet another mom who said on camera that one of her twin six-year-old daughters was the prettiest of all five of her children. The other twin, she says, has a big nose. These kinds of reality shows that have been very popular over the last decade or so have demonstrated that moms will often go to any lengths to get their children the crown and win the big money. It's really an old story, isn't it? Our scripture reading this morning proves that. Here is the mom of James and John making her case to Jesus for her sons to be positioned prominently in Jesus' coming kingdom. Greatness to her and to many other people in our world seems to be all about achieving power and fame, about 
manipulating our way to the top. Of course, Jesus turns this on his head and instead gives all of us the right definition of greatness. You want to be great? Serve. And our need this morning, brothers and sisters, is to understand what it means to serve like Jesus. That's the title of my message. And then to put it into practice in our daily living. And specifically, I want us also to be mindful, as has been mentioned, of the role that our servants with a capital S, the role that they play in our church family as we prepare to elect new deacons in a couple of weeks. But Jesus' teaching here today applies to all of us. And I want you to see just four things this morning. There are more. But for the sake of time, I just want to highlight four ways today that we can learn to serve like Jesus. So here's number one. Serving like Jesus requires humility. It requires humility. One of the basic lessons that Jesus taught and modeled regarding service is this essential component of humility. Paul laid this out for us really clearly, didn't he? In his letter to the Philippians, he wrote this, having this mind among yourselves, in other words, think this way, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5-8. through He humbled himself. I know these are familiar verses, but just think about that for a minute. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, humbled himself. And he humbled himself to the extent, Paul says, of giving his life as a sacrifice for sinners. Brothers and sisters, that, it, that is what it means to serve like Jesus. He showed this to his disciples, didn't he, in his famous object lesson in the upper room. John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, verse 3, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand down to verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what I have done to you you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. So as you serve and as you select men to serve this church family, look for humility. True servants of Christ are not people who think that they are entitled to a position or a role, but people who are fully dependent on the Spirit's help to do any good work. These are not people who throw around their titles or who are territorial about their ministries, but people who humbly serve Jesus. And there's great joy in this kind of service. C.S. Lewis, the British author, once wrote about this struggle for humility in his book, Mere Christianity. This is what he wrote. God wants you to know Him, wants to give you Himself. And He and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with Him, you will, in fact, be humble, delightedly humble, feeling infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. He is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible. Trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we have got ourselves all up in and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Serving like Jesus requires humility. Secondly, serving like Jesus rejects greed. Jesus gave us another important lesson on serving in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's another familiar verse. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One of the qualifications for a deacon in 1 Timothy 3 is that he is not greedy for dishonest gain. That follows right along with Jesus' disciples to his, to Jesus teaching to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 6. There are many, many scandals in the church over the centuries that have arisen from men misusing, mishandling, and outright stealing and embezzling Money. Some of the biggest names in televangelism in the last century have fallen because of this singular issue of greed. Jesus says you cannot serve money and me at the same time. One of the best ways to combat the sin of greed in our lives is to be generous in our giving. Not only to the Lord and to His church, but also to others in need. Paul often commended, as you read his letters in the New Testament, he commended these fledgling churches in the first century for their sacrificial giving in this regard. For instance, we'll get to this in our study in the new year, but Paul told the Corinthian church 
about, and Corinth is down in the southern part of Greece, he told the Corinthian church about the churches up in Macedonia, up in the northern part of Greece. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You remember Paul was going around taking a collection for the poor in the home church in Jerusalem, the mother church. And as he went around, uh, he was encouraging all these churches to give toward this project. And this, not as we expected, Paul says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, this giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Then Paul goes on to explain the same passage that these churches were simply following Jesus' own example. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. It would do all of us good as we enter this Christmas season. We're thinking about gift giving to our families and our loved ones to also think how we can marshal our resources to serve like Jesus did. There are many ways to do that at Heather Hills, of course, from simply noticing an individual believer's needs and meeting them privately, secretly, as many of you do. Perhaps contributing to our deacons fund each month when we collect it after the Lord's table for the needs of those in our church family. To helping fund our harvest offering. It's open for another week or two with special projects. To also giving time and energies to various ministries like our mom house. We're going to need some folks to step up there and we're, and we're looking for that to continue to thrive well into the next year and beyond. So think about this. Serving like Jesus not only requires humility, serving like Jesus rejects greed. We use money, and it's not wrong to have money, but it's wrong to love it. And it's wrong to pursue it with that greed, that lust, that's not serving like Jesus. Thirdly, serving like Jesus reveals love. Reveals love. You know, one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible is Romans 5.8. You guys can quote it with me, right? God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death on the cross, the ultimate act of service, was a revelation of God's love 
for us. It should come as no surprise then that if we're going to serve like Jesus, that means that we serve others in love. Paul put it this way to the Galatians. It was in the movie just before the sermon began. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 5.13 Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don Whitney writes this, The Gospel opens believers' eyes to see needs they never saw before and changes their hearts to have a new compassion and willingness to meet those needs. To serve like Jesus means to love like Jesus. And that does not just mean to love the people who are your friends and to love the people who are the most like you. Jesus took it to the extreme, didn't He? In the Sermon on the Mount, when He said this, Matthew 5.43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So brothers and sisters, want to really serve like Jesus? Fellow deacon candidates, want to really serve like Jesus? Love someone who doesn't already love you. Love someone who treats you poorly. Love someone who is the complete opposite of yourself. Love sinners like Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. When you were His enemy. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Love your enemies just as Jesus did in loving you and loving me. Don't forget where you've come from, brothers and sisters. Don't forget that the Gospel came to you because someone loved you enough to share it with you. And someone, capital S, loved you enough to die for your sins. And be sure to love people enough to pass that same message along. Don't let the Gospel stop with you. You going out to eat for lunch today? I bet a bunch of you are. Take your server something to serve him or serve her with a Gospel tract or a word about Jesus. They're right out there on the bookstall. You can grab one on your way out. Love like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. It reveals love. Finally, serving like Jesus results in worship. It results in worship. You know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil at the outset of His public ministry, He countered the temptation that the devil threw at Him with Scripture. You remember that? Luke's Gospel records it in this way. 
this encounter in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, quoting from Deuteronomy, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. The word translated serve there in Luke 4.8 is also translated worship throughout the New Testament. It describes the kind of service that we render to the one to whom we have given our allegiance. In other words, if we say that Jesus is Lord, that's our confession of faith, right? Romans 10.13, if, if you call on the Lord saying Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you say that Jesus is your Lord, then the evidence of that confession should be a life of service to Him, which is, in effect, worship. Paul wrote this same idea, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word worship there is the same word translated serve back in Luke 4. What does this mean? All of our life is a life of service to Christ and all of our service is worship to our God. There is never, think about this, there is never a moment when we are not worshiping someone or something. Never a moment. So again, in the case of deacons, there are restrictions on their service, such as not being addicted to alcohol, having self-control, being faithful to their wives, not being pugnacious and all quick to anger and all that sort of thing. But all of these sacrifices, all of these restrictions to character flow out of a life of worship to Christ. A life of service to Christ. And so should all of our lives. I'm going to ask the praise team to return to the stage here for our song of response here in a few moments. As they're coming, let's think how we can apply this sermon to our lives this morning. First, and most importantly, you cannot serve Jesus unless He has your heart. We know that just going through the motions of religious acts does not count to Him. Isaiah put it this way, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones 
and all uncleanness. Your Savior doesn't want empty worship. He wants our hearts, our full allegiance to Him as Lord and Master. That's number one. You can't serve Jesus unless He has your heart. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, you can. Here today. We'd love to talk to you about that after the service. You can stop by our prayer room just over here in the left corner of the sanctuary. A Bible counselor will sit down there on the couch and open the Bible and show you how you can become a follower of Jesus, how you can give Him your heart, how you can know the love that passes understanding, how you can know the peace that passes understanding, how you can know forgiveness of sins, how you can know eternal life and joy and begin to serve Jesus with your whole heart. We'd love to talk to you about that. By means of application, second, consider your own life in regard to service. Think about this with me. You may be very busy serving the Lord. But are you serving like Jesus? Are you serving with humility or with pride? Are you seeking great things for yourself? Are you focused on greed or generosity? Do you love the people you serve? And do you serve people who do not love you. I want to tell you, the men and women who serve our children during our worship service to create a distraction-free environment for you to hear the Word of God as they hear the Word of God at their own level of understanding those people are doing some of the most important work in this church. And I thank God for them that they would love those children enough to serve them. No higher calling here. Are you living a whole life of worship? A whole life of worship? Or does Jesus only get select time from your schedule? It's a good time to do some self-reflection, isn't it? And determine to make some changes in our lives, in our routines, in our disciplines, in how we go about serving people and ministry and the lost. It's a good time to make some changes that exalt Christ and humble ourselves. Even as we will begin next Sunday, the first week of Advent, to remember Jesus' own humiliation in coming to earth. And as we reflect on that these next few weeks, consider your own life when it comes to serving like Jesus. Third, be assured of something. 
If you serve like Jesus, there is great blessing for you. If you read the scriptures, you read things like this. Jesus promises to lift up the humble, exalt the humble, give grace to the humble. And ultimately, we serve him because we love him. That's what motivates our service. That's what motivates our worship. We love Him. And we love Him because He first loved us when we didn't love Him. Praise be to God that Jesus is our perfect example of serving. So let's consider even as we elect folks to serve our church at various levels in the next couple of weeks, let's think about their lives for sure as we elect folks. But think about your own too and how all of us together in 2024 can serve like Jesus better. All right? Let's stand together. Let's sing a song, a prayer actually to the Lord as we close. A wonderful old uh, chorus together. I trust you'll take it, take it to heart as we sing these words.